Hi, and welcome to Port Academy, an international podcast that combines pop culture and academics. We post a new episode every Monday. For most of history, China has been the center of the world. More people lived there than in any other state. More was invented there, and more was produced there to a higher standard of quality than anywhere else. Even into the 19th century, when Europe was industrializing, European goods were uninteresting for the Chinese consumer, while Chinese goods were sought after in Europe, causing a trade deficit. Only two items brought by Westerners had any kind of impact in China, guns and opium. These would become the crowbar with which China was opened up and beaten over the head. With the first opium war started a period during which China was humiliated time and again. Military confrontations were lost, unfavorable trade agreements were forced upon it, and territory was relinquished. Still, China was always too big to be gobbled up whole by any single colonizer. The largest attempt to conquer China was made by Imperial Japan. After World War II, the simmering civil war broke out again, and the war-hardened communists managed to seize the upper hand completing their conquest of the mainland in 1949. The nationalists, meanwhile, fled to Taiwan and have stayed there ever since. With the Maoist victory of 1949 came the first of numerous events said to be the end of the so-called century of humiliation, which still looms large in revanchist Chinese mentality. And perhaps we're still not there yet. Perhaps the real end of the humiliation in the form of some kind of revenge is still to come. This is Sparta! History in movies. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. Das war ein Befehl! Der Angriffsteuer war ein Befehl! What we do in life echoes in eternity. All right, but apart from the sanitation, the medicine, education, wine, public order, irrigation, roads, a fresh water system and public health, what have the Romans ever done for us? The Chinese century of humiliation in movies. Hey man, how's it going? Hey man, I'm good, I'm good, ready to go. Let's go over the movies, first, the list of movies. The Opium War, the Opium War from 1997, a Chinese movie. For thousands of years, the people, the country, the mystique of China remained a secret to the Western world. But now, Britain has the responsibility to open up this last and largest territory in the East. All of that is about to change. The fact is, whoever gets hold of China will have the entire East. The 19th century. Which is uh, 1839, 1842. And 1997 is not, a, not an accident for that movie to come out. And we're referring to the British handover of Hong Kong back to the Chinese. It's a very auspicious uh, year. And this film kind of places that year in uh, context, which is relatively accurate, but very, very clearly representing the Chinese perspective. Uh, gets 6.5 on IMDb. Yes, it's supposed to coincide because they're handing over Hong Kong to the British uh, in the movie. So it's, it's just boom, just there. 
that's like the that's what uh, what the movie was made for obviously okay. yeah and then we go to the year 1899 uh, 55 days at peking oh. Uh, oh. <laughs> yes it's uh, this is the forbidden city of peking in the year 1900 The year of the Boxer Uprising. Against the never-before-seen canvas of China, with all its mystery and adventure, its savagery and barbarism, is told the epic saga of a handful of men and women of 11 nations who battled the armies of an empress while the world looked on and held its breath. 55 Days at Peking. Starring Charlton Heston. And here, here is he in one of his stellar roles, shooting his rifle at people of wow. color. This is wow. yeah. a horrible movie. This movie is like a historical artifact to look at what the American uh, mainstream uh, thinking was at the time about uh, America's place in the world and other people's non-white and non-whites and their place in the world. Yes. Wow. Okay, but. We'll talk about that later. Yes. Huh? And, and those non-whites, you can just emulate them, right? You just take a white actor and uh, some makeup. <laughs> so this is about the Boxer Rebellion, which was like uh, a siege on the European uh, outpost uh, and the rebellion that uh, they eventually crushed. Yes, and this is the year 1900s. The Europeans that were just like, they had a, 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 a small outpost uh, in the Opium War here. They're all there. They all want to take a bite. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. There were actually two Opium Wars, whatever, and another uh, rebellion. We're going to talk a little bit about the rebellion in, uh, also in between through the movie uh, The Warlords, Jet Li. When their empire abandoned them, and their generals sacrificed them. Three men swore an oath as brothers and launched a crusade for justice that would make them legends. A huge civil war, huge civil war. So this is all like a downward spiral. And after that, it's the last emperor. So this is the uh, film from 1987 by uh, uh, Bernardo Bertolucci mm. about mm. the life and times of the last Qing emperor. At the age of three, he ascended to the dragon throne. As a boy, he was the absolute ruler of imperial China. Stop! The emperor will walk. His life filled with sights and sounds no other human being on earth could experience. I think the emperor is the loneliest boy on earth. I want a modern wife, Johnston, who speaks English and French, and who can dance the quick step. After that, it's Raising the Red, the Red Lantern by Zhang Yimou, the famed Chinese director. Yeah. This is the era of the warlords. Yes. It, which is uh, just after the collapse of the Qing Empire and before uh -huh. temporary nationalist victory, you could say. Um, and it's a film from 1991. It gets an 8.1 on IMDb. Yes. You don't see that much about the time, but it's a gorgeous film. 
Uh, and that era, basically, it's just like China is divided into a million pieces. Mm-hmm. This is basically an unstable uh, era. And I suppose then the last film is Farewell, My Concubine, in 1993. Uh, also uh, highly rated on the IMDb. It follows the lives of, you could say, two artists in uh, Chinese opera through the 20th century. Uh, from like the 1920s to the 1970s or so. So officially, the century of humiliation ends in 1949 as the communists take power. But well, so this is this is basically the point of my narrative okay. about this because I'm not sure if that's okay. true. Go. When you build a national myth, then the best stories are the epic mm-hmm. defeats and the traumas, mm-hmm. obviously. Like 9-11 or Remember the Alamo or whatever else. Shoah, Holocaust. Uh, yeah. Right. I find it a little weird, but uh, interesting that even the Nazis had that. Like they had this obsession with, oh, we were first humiliated during the beer hall putsch. Mm, they were. And for they example, and, and they, they were, and then they kept... Uh, also you humiliated also in the First World War. That was like the basic... Uh, well, yeah, but so they they kept the um, the flag, for example, that they were carrying during the beer hall putsch, and all throughout the Second World War, they used that flag to consecrate the banners of the SS, uh-huh. as if that like that tiny defeat still yes. justified all of the Egg. all of the stuff. I want to understand something, Utrecht. You yeah. are basically saying that a right wing party harped on insignificant slights mm-hmm. as it was subjecting others to oppression and still mm-hmm. they felt as if they were oppressed this yes. sounds wow i don't this is out of left field this is this sounds like only something that happens uh, everywhere all the time <laughs> <laughs> And and obviously then the century of humiliation is that same kind of story which kind of justifies the rise of China now and all the yes. assertive policies, you could say. It, it can't really end either, right? Like you can't say, oh, it's redeemed. It's the century of humiliation is over and we're now fair and square. Of course not. So at first it was when Mao took over in 49, then boom, century of humiliation has ended. But then, no, not really. It was actually in uh, Korea when uh, finally a Western army got their ass kicked in the human wave attacks there. But oh, that also not, uh, that, that's not enough still. So, for example, then it was the handover of Hong Kong, 97. So this opium war film, the first one we're going to talk about, make brings that full circle. And But the, this get the... the the century of humiliation can never end, right? Because then... Yes, then you have to like, chill. Then we're done. So obviously now, still, like now, it's with the next dot on the horizon is Taiwan. That's where the Kuomintang, the nationalists, that's where they retreated to. And that's why basically it's uh, its own uh, mm-hmm. country. Because it's on an island and it's uh, farther away and it's harder to conquer while all the rest uh, they conquered. Even the rest, whatever. They use that as an excuse to conquer parts of Mongolia and Tibet uh, that were only for... This is something really interesting. Like nationalists, they always uh, want to go back to the borders where, when they were the largest. 
They don't want to, want to go back to the borders where, you know, a little bit before, a little bit sure. after. Like, everybody wants to have, like, the maximum amount of land ever. They, are, they feel they have the right to the maximum amount of land ever, which we would need, like, two Earths in order mm-hmm. to satisfy everybody. It's a zero-sum uh, game, right? If you're at your fullest yes. extent, then somebody else is at a smaller uh, yes. territorial extent. And uh, that's therein lies the rub with these kind of ideas. Yes, and also China is being also uh, they want to get back other other lands that they feel they own within the Indian Chinese border. They had a few scuffles over there in the past few years. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, and the, whatever, all kinds of little islands. Yes. So they still now. This is like really. So the, the Chinese uh, century of humiliation is still now very very re- relevant, if not the driving uh, ideological force. Behind yes. Chinese exactly. geopolitics yeah. today, yeah, and uh, in in all directions of uh, of the country, I suppose, like uh, part of the century of humiliation, of which we don't really have any films, is for example also the French uh, rising influence in Indochina, and therefore the loss of Chinese influence in, for example, Vietnam, and like, that that's part that's also on the list, yeah, 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 yeah. and the existence of Mongolia as a separate country is also yeah I can so basically yeah. it's like boohoo I had a large empire where I did all kinds of bad things to other people and then the same thing happened to me when I was weaker that's really unjust and now the shoe needs to be back on the other foot and for that foot that foot needs to kick you in the face that's right <laughs> yes my main takeaway from all these movies is the feeling of foreignness. They have like the themes of hierarchy, how it's super important, un- unity, obviously, a running theme around all these movies, mm-hmm. and social perceptions. Like if you are uh, yeah. of this clan, of that clan, this kind of person, and that kind of person, what would people say? This is like a running theme through all these movies, while in American movies you yeah. have, like, uh, I yeah. guess, the individual against uh, the system. We're used to that, yeah. but uh, this is the opposite, even. The individual against the system yeah. is wrong. <laughs> yes. The individual is the problem. The system works. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You wanna do, you want, do you want to just get started yeah. with uh, yeah. the opium war? Okay, the opium yeah. Gentlemen, it's time to take a vote. For me, money's like the trade wins. Easy come, easy go. I have no objection to turning in the opium. You don't have any opium. All you've got is a big mouth. Me, I'm a sailor. Money's important to me, but more important to me is fair play. These people have never treated us fairly. And if we back down now, these savages will treat us like slaves. Do uh, do you want to set the stage a little bit historically? We can just very quickly go back to the 1400s when uh, Ming China, the dynasty before the Qing, they uh, literally and figuratively burned their boats of their incredible fleet, number one world-class fleet, burned it. They decided to uh, look inwards and not outwards. Then came the Qing and uh, 200 years later. And slowly but surely, China was on the decline just as because the 1400s, that's when the Europeans started to take over the world. Yeah. So when we meet uh, the European powers and the Chinese uh, power, uh, it's, they're not on the same level at all. 
technologically, uh, uh, yeah. weaponly. Basically, those are the two important <laughs> things in a war. <laughs> when the British show up, this, there's been this just a short moment in history where gun technology was good enough so that it was a massive tactical advantage. And anywhere where you show up in the world, also in the tropics, which was that took a while for for gun technology to get to that point. Uh, and it was before everybody just had guns. So you could also say, well, the century of humiliation ends in the Korean War when uh, human wave attacks start working again because now everybody has Kalashnikovs, <laughs> uh, right? Yeah. So so the advantage that that European powers had for a little while in firepower they had ended. Yeah, incredible cannons that the Chinese cannot fight. So the Europeans cannot, you know, occupy China because it's no. huge, it's huge. Yeah. But they can destroy their forts, and they do, because they want to force their hand into accepting the opium trade, which has decimated uh, Chinese society. Uh, and for some reason, the Chinese government doesn't want its society to be decimated. So they're like, we're not gonna, uh, we're gonna outlaw opium, just as the British outlawed opium, uh, opium uh, in their uh, homeland. But this is, I guess, uh, against uh, free trade, free trade. So you cannot uh, ban stuff mm -hmm. that uh, white people want to sell. So they have to uh, start a war yep. to force them to have opium. There was a trade imbalance. Like uh, right. China, like you said, had been self-sufficient basically since the Renaissance or so, or at least also not really interested in going further afield. So they produced everything that they wanted to have. Europeans wanted that stuff too, like silk, porcelain, and whatever else, but they didn't have much that the yeah. Chinese wanted. So there was the same kind of trade imbalance that we have now, Except then, finally, Europeans figured out, well, but there's one thing that everybody loves. Drugs. <laughs> so so we need to start selling them opium, and then that trade imbalance can be rectified, and we get uh, Chinese yes. silver instead yes. of paying it to them. Now China is the biggest exporter of uh, fentanyl, which is uh, driving the uh, opioid uh, epidemic in the U.S. Nah. Oh, my goodness. And I'm sure they are aware of that. In China, oh, a hypocritical empire doesn't sound like this is the first time in history that I've heard. I'm, like, I'm floored, floored that there's hypocrisy in this yes. power. Yeah, it's weird. Hey? Can I say something totally unrelated to the movie that I just found out while watching the movie? So, yes, a friend of mine uh, downloaded the movie illegally. It's not me. It's a friend of mine. And there were and the, the sub the, the the subtitles that were just like. In the movie were in Dutch, yes, and there were there was a lot of talk uh, about uh, fathers there, vader, yeah, v a d e r. I see, is that the word the Dutch word for father? Yeah. How come it's the first time that I've heard of it? It's just like Darth Vader. It's just why is that not why is that not a thing that people yep. know and talk about that the fact that he's a father is <laughs> in his name, <laughs> in his name. Why haven't you said anything about it, Rutger? You had the information. Huh. Well, it's, it's good that you bring up uh, the Dutch uh, presence uh, in, this, in this way. Like uh, the image research department of our podcast also provided me with this version. <laughs> um, okay. So I also noticed uh, the subtitles. Okay. Another thing that I noticed, I don't know if you did, was that there was uh, Dutch flags here and there also uh, flying in the background. 
because that's uh, I mean that's typical Dutch uh, signature move, right? Uh, like we're we're uh, part of the uh, Western Allies. We're also there in uh, Guangzhou, and we're not really doing the fighting ourselves. We're just part of the coalition of the willing, and then we sent the trade delegation when the dust has settled. Yeah. That's that's how we roll. Yeah. It's so ironic, like the the use of uh, free trade, unironically, <laughs> in the in the movie. Totally. Yeah. Now, in the face of this unexpected Chinese violation of our liberty, our resources, and indeed the dignity of the Queen. So a main theme basically of, 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 of the depiction of the Qing government is how corrupt they are and, and the loss of, uh, uh, of unity because you have like different uh, officials uh, doing business, you know, behind, like under the table, behind the table, on the sides, taking money mm-hmm. and bribes, and this is what allows the the Europeans uh, this foothold inside China. It's a good thing that now uh, the Chinese uh, Empire doesn't have uh, corruption anymore. Yeah, that's good. That, that's right. That I heard that they uh, killed this uh, one corrupt uh, official, and then uh, that's uh, that was solved. No. Yeah, it's it's a, such a common uh, thing that comes up so often in these Chinese films, also previous ones that we've uh, watched, that um, the system is fine, the empire is fine, and the whole bureaucracy is basically fine. So this, this film, which is made by communist China, basically depicts the imperial forces as yeah. almost the same system. Right, it's just a massive bureaucracy, and that system—that's good. But there's individuals who corrupt that beautiful yes. system, and those individuals that you have to do something about. But it's, but otherwise, the whole hierarchy is un, is never questioned. But it doesn't show. We must say that obviously, it's, you know, it's 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 been approved by uh, the Chinese Communist Party, but it doesn't show the Chinese as like super super heroic and the Europeans are super super bad so it's less propagandistic than a lot of american movies than most of american movies i would say and the uh, the movie that we're going to talk about next <laughs> is much worse but there was one thing that uh, was a bit of uh, plant based uh, propaganda which i thought uh, you would uh, really no, resonate no. with which is where the uh, the horrible horrible disgusting british just use a knife and a fork to cut into a steak. Yeah, I, th- uh, I thought that a, was a uh, show to show how the Chinese were out of step. The Qing was out of step. I, I thought that was supposed to show how disgusting Western food is. These kind of undercooked steaks. <laughs> yeah. Also, there's, there's a vegetarian character. Uh, the main character in Raising the Red Lantern is a vegetarian. So uh, you lost me there. I'm all the way Chinese right. here, uh, there. Uh, uh, plant-based versus uh, meat cringe. <laughs> I was once uh, invited to a reception at the residence of the Dutch consul in Hong Kong. Okay. Uh, so that's on Hong Kong Island and kind of higher up a bit. Beautiful residence. It was, you know, the kind of Federal Rocher moment mm. where the parties of the ambassador uh, really spoil us. At the residence, at the corners of the, the land there, there were cannons of the old VOC, that's the United East India Corporation of the Netherlands, because uh, the Dutch were already like yeah messing around over there way back when. Uh, so the Dutch, and they'd shown up also there in the Pearl River Delta at some point. One of the ships sank, and then was uh, the, these cannons were dredged up again, 
and they now decorated the uh, the garden of the consulate. This is like a middle finger to the Chinese. A little bit, yeah. There was a, a, a particular scene that really floored me. There was uh, the debate in the British Parliament about what to do with the Chinese. Order! There are 400 million people living in China. If that many people lived in Europe, they would have separated into hundreds of countries years ago. But the Chinese have always been ruled by one emperor and spoken one language. Is this not formidable? For 5,000 years, do you not think that we should be making trade with these people and not war? They have banned the trade. They have treated the British Empire badly. They really should be punished. Basically, you had there the left and the right sitting to the left mm -hmm. to the right. Mm -hmm. And the people on the left were like, we shouldn't do it, uh, it's wrong, it's not smart also, let's uh, cooperate and let's uh, have a dialogue with them and not humiliate them. And the right-wingers were like, mm -hmm. no, if we don't do that to them, to these savages, they will treat us like slaves, so we have to do it first, mm -hmm. and we have to break them. Yep. And spoiler alert, they are the ones who got more votes and uh, yeah, went ahead with the war the western powers wanted wasn't really to for example conquer china and have plantations there or whatever they wanted that free trade and to do that they wanted to have basically trading posts uh, in major cities but, so what, what it led to was was these things called uh, concessions in different cities that's also like the the bund area in shanghai for example with these old buildings and uh, there was also something similar to that in beijing and that's basically the thing that now comes under siege mm. during the Boxer Rebellion, decades later. So these, these these little bits of sort of trading posts where you see a bunch of different European powers that otherwise might be at war with one another, but there they all have their little settlement next to each other uh, to do business in China. Based on guns. Yeah. And when uh, the Chinese decide to ban the opium trade, then the British government uh, that uh, speaks of free trade basically nationalizes the losses of these uh, free entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. Which is something I've never heard of a government doing that. No. So you were talking about uh, Beijing. So in the movie, the, the emperor, the, whatever, the emperorship is in what is the summer castle. Not in the Forbidden City. Mm -hmm. They weren't allowed to shoot in the Forbidden City. That's only the last uh, emperor. So that's like a different uh, place. Which It's not like the head of the government. Uh, whatever. I've, I've been to China. I spent three months in China uh, in 2002, I think it was. Yeah, maybe mm -hmm. I'll have uh, something to say about it later. Uh, okay, like, we, we can go to the end, the very last uh, scene of the movie. You see the Chinese lion, it's all dark, and you see like little dots, two small red dots yep. where his pup its pupils should be, and this is like a sign, the lion will return. I thought it was uh, a good touch. I, like, I, I didn't think this movie was, uh, you know, uh, heavy-handed. I'm fascinated by uh, Chinese films where the Westerners are obviously the baddies, because it's so weird to see then Western actors in those roles 
and uh, like the British are kind of disgusting and kind of gropey and rapey and they eat disgusting food and they are and, and so they sometimes they then they say also these really profound things about how how the Chinese are and how upstanding they are and uh, oh they would f- fight till the last man because for the honor or whatever and like you know that it's like put in the mouth of the other side the way of course Hollywood does all the fucking time yes yes so it's interesting to see that mirrored if you don't agree we'll wipe you out yes or no they're always like this this is so typically Chinese they never say yes and they never say no open fire you feel like talking up okay so let's talk about uh, the warlords the jetly movie Whatever. so that uh, movie chronicles uh, the taiping rebellion so after the events depicted in the opium war and and the second opium war that's like uh, uh, nine, uh, 1839 to 1842 the first war the first war and then 1856 to 1860 and in between starts a rebellion by crazed christian chinese and they have their own uh, jesus uh, chinese jesus fellow he's the brother of jesus Sorry, the brother of Jesus. Because that's what he says. He's (laughs) Jesus' brother. And uh, according to historians, somewhere between 30 and 50 million died during that war. So this is is part of the disintegration of uh, the Chinese empire, basically. And, you know, in the the, the background, you have, uh, as usual, people at the bottom of the food chain getting overtaxed getting priced out of homes and you have uh, people uh, you know leaving their their villages to to look for work somewhere else and this is a recipe for a civil war <laughs> and it takes a long time to 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 mop up the entire uh, civil war even once yeah the rebels had uh, held kind of uh, you know southeast china along the coast pretty large stretches and and formed there a kind of weird messianic theocracy um, with, yeah, kind of weird utopian uh, reforms as well. Yeah, and this Western, foreign Western religion, this is definitely part of the humiliation. Yeah, but like when I look at the canonical list of humiliations on uh, Wikipedia, (laughs) uh, it's not on the list. I guess because it's yeah. self-inflicted, you might Self-inflicted, say. but it's it's important just like uh, to understand where things are going. I don't want to spend too much time uh, on the movie. A few things interesting uh, in the movie. Again, the, the importance of unity and just like a few social signifiers to tell you who's bad and who's wrong. So like in American movies, if you hurt a dog or a child, yeah. you're basically an evil Ooh. dude. Yeah. Here in this movie... Yeah. If you hurt a grandma, that's the cardinal sin. <gasps> you hurt the grandma. This is like to tell you this person is bad. Which was grandma on their mother's side or father's side? No, a grandma. 
Yeah, there were like a, a mob of grandmas <laughs> mobbing uh, Chinese soldiers yeah. of a certain warlord. And they were baiting the soldier to kill them because they were taking all their food, basically. So you can kill me, I'm old enough to be your grandma. And then yeah. the Chinese uh, soldier, even though he didn't really want to, but he was like, you know, uh, kill the grandma. And everybody's like, oh my goodness, everything stops. Everything stops. Not killing a child, not killing a dog. Yeah. So that's just like interesting that this is... Like uh, what the Chinese see as like the ultimate uh, villainous act. And again, so you have like a, a running theme in the movie is like the aspiration for uh, uh, peace and quiet through unity even if it's under uh, a warlord that you dislike but if we just if we just uh, uh, win this then we can go back to things being stable but the political fight must end that's basically the main takeaway from uh, from this movie okay so let's jump on to uh, 55 days in peking peking china the summer of the year 1900. The rains are late. The crops have failed. A hundred million Chinese are hungry. And a violent wind of discontent disturbs the land. Within the foreign compound, a thousand foreigners live and work. Citizens of a dozen far-off nations. You were saying something about white actors before. I, I didn't really catch it. Please explain. I would say that from the Chinese perspective, it is totally fair to consider this film as part of the century of humiliation. Maybe it's not very polite to try to mimic people of a different race by applying makeup. In this film, a bunch of the wow. main characters, the main villains, Chinese villains, are just white actors and sort of painted over and made their eyes a little like Asian looking yeah. but not really yeah. and it's incredibly jarring to watch now with our western sensibilities now like it's like, yes. so you know for me it was so jarring that it took me <laughs> like a good 10-15 minutes in, into the movie to understand that they were, like I was like why are these Europeans dressed in Chinese clothes? Right. I didn't understand. <laughs> yeah. took me some time to understand. Ah, they were Chinese. They're, 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 they are. Okay. Yeah, they're, exactly. <laughs> but, but on the other <laughs> hand, a common trope in uh, Western films about uh, Chinese is, of course, that there's masses of Chinese. Like, oh, this is like, uh, that's, like the human wave attacks, for example. So there's also in this film a couple of instances where there's waves of supposedly Chinese people attacking the compound i've stopped the frame once in a while to check and again a whole bunch of times that's white people right? uh, as white extras playing the the horde the hordes the masses okay. of chinese peasants okay. okay and we're talking about uh, a rebellion that was abused uh, slash co-opted whatever pushed encouraged by the Qing against uh, against the Europeans and it, and against Christians so this was like a backlash to the Taiping yeah. rebellion in many ways this is 1899 to 1901 yeah I suppose like a big uh, Chinese concern is also foreign ideas coming yes in. like up to this day 
We yes. don't want Christianity coming in. We don't want ideas now yes. about liberal democracy, for example, coming in, or just the facts about uh, the, the Tiananmen Square uh, massacre that took place on uh, June 4th, 1989. By the way, uh, we got uh, flagged on Twitter uh, not too long ago when I had tweeted something about this, and I'm not sure if we were being flagged because you can never really tell. You're just being told, are you... Uh, broke community guidelines i wonder if there was just uh, uh, people even bots that uh, reported the tweet because it had the okay. tank man uh, photo in there so like the the famous uh, image of the boxer rebellion the reason that they, uh, they, it's called the boxer rebellion they were using chinese martial arts and they and and another really really bad the western idea was the use of uh, gunpowder uh, to shoot people, so they believed that they couldn't be shot because they were yeah. holding on to, yeah. you know, uh, the Chinese uh, eternal custom of a fight of killing each other with your bare hands. And after uh, long years of training, uh, they got shot and killed. It didn't help them. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, 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 okay. This this just killed me. The first time we see the American uh, delegation, uh, whatever, with Charlton Heston, like he starts out by saying, "Hey, everybody, I just want you to know and remember, we are not racist." I repeat, we are not racist. All right, Marines, eyes hunt. We're almost in Peking, the capital city of China. This is an ancient and highly cultured civilization. So don't get the idea you're any better than these people just because they can't speak English. Just a reminder, heads up, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> We're not yes. racist. But right then the, 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 as the movie goes on, they're clearly racist. Just super racist. <laughs> not even trying to hide it. They're like, there's a child that is half Chinese, half American. And she's like, and, and, and Charlton Heston is saying she's going to be treated back home like a mongrel. Did you just say that we're not racist? <laughs> a little racist. I, a like, did you forget? <laughs> so you admit that you're racist. It's not like, you know, when we say that they use the white actors for the Chinese actors, we say this is racist. Yes. But he's saying we are racist. We are, in fact, racists. Uh, they were talking about uh, not shooting the Chinese uh, as if they were uh, red Indians. <laughs> It's like, let's not be racist towards the Chinese like we are racist towards the Indians. Just so. dial it down a little bit. It's not, not a genocidal racism, just depatronizing racism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are levels levels for other peoples. The Chinese are not like at the down level like the Red Indians. Come on, come on. Right, it's just, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is science. Ta Taylor, it's a, yeah, obviously, yeah. But so, by the way, so what happens is uh, there's these uh, uh, Western settlements or concessions also in Beijing. They come under siege and they, like the Westerners have to just fire, fire, fire only when you see the white of their eyes or something like that, like way up close, human waves. And then the cavalry arrives and Western civilization is saved again. And there's, <laughs> you see all these different armies come in one by one, like uh, they had the, the, the Indian battalion and the Americans. And then there's also like the Italians, um, the same as in the Italian in uh, Allo Allo with like the, the rooster mm, feathers okay. on his head, like Captain Bertorelli. And they come in marching in this weird way. Like it's, 
And no context at all. Not no no context at all. As like, what are you doing there? They clearly don't want you there. <laughs> Why is this uh, just only at the end? There's like a we're here for free trade, so. Gil. Who could be against this? We've already went over this in the Dutch episode. This is just a wholesome idea. Okay, and if you don't understand free trade, then we're just going to have to kill you and force you. We'll make you make you free trade. Free trade we'll yes. shoot you into free trade. Yes, we'll force free trade. Yeah. Let's force free trade. Uh, speaking of tropes, so at the beginning, immediately, like the first shot is like a big wall, a ch- uh, like a, a, a great wall looking wall. Uh, like, mm-hmm. like, and then there are like a couple of uh, Potala temples. This is like the Tibetan Buddhist temple in Tibet and in other places. This is like a very distinct style. It's like uh, it's always on mountains, and then it's just like st- going straight up for like six, eight stories, whatever. I haven't been to the Potala temple. I've been to the mini Potala temple in uh, northern India. You know, it was part of the same uh, cultural re- religious sphere. And there it's like in the middle of Beijing for some reason. <laughs> a huge uh, temple that looks, a building that looks like uh, like the Potara temple. So this is like, they were like doing, going through Google images and like, okay, let's have this and this and this. This is all here. This is China. Just like to make it click, China. Looks oriental. Yes. Yes. And I used the bamboo font and uh, paint everyone <laughs> yellow. China. And uh, there we go, China. Okay. Again, here, there's this uh, uh, feeling of oppression as you are oppressing the other. Like, so we'll all just walk softly and hope for the best. Even if we walk on our knees, we can't stop this. No, you are there oppressing them. <laughs> Going on your knees, meaning go back to the U.S. I don't think they're going to attack you in the U.S. They don't have a fleet. Okay, so this is... The same uh, outlook by the American, by Americans that we mentioned about uh, the Chinese having as well. (sighs) So just this one funny anecdote about uh, this turn of the century war. And you have this military dance of all these European generals Mm -hmm. dancing. Mm -hmm. This is a thing of the past. Generals do not dance today. Yeah, what a shame. <laughs> this is like not manly anymore. This is cool. I thought that was cool because all throughout the Middle Ages and stuff, you had all kings and they were dancing. Yeah, yeah. but now it's also this dancing has changed and it would be kind of upsetting to watch generals twerking and stuff like that. So it's just yeah. Yeah, phased out. It's a practice. Uh, okay, moving on. Moving on. Okay, so let's go to the last emperor. Little boy, I have decided that you will be the new lord of 10,000 years. You will be the son of heaven. The last emperor depicts uh, the life of uh, Puyi, the uh, last Qing emperor. He, at some point early on, goes to visit um, basically the queen mum and that's the uh, the, the lady who in uh, The Last Emperor is eating the the sea turtle soup 
Yeah, she's like early old, old and with a lot of makeup. There's all this opulence, but it's decaying. You can feel yes. the decay. And she's the, basically the same per well, she is the same person as the one who's um, kind of supporting the Boxer Rebellion. Ah, okay. Okay. And who's the white, the white woman in 55 Days at Peking? Okay. You know, I thought they looked alike, I must say. <laughs> like, now that you say they had the same hat, I guess. <laughs> the same hat. So, basically, it shows us like, the, that nothing in the, in the Qing Empire is relevant to this new and changing world. They're like decades behind, like a backwater with all these silly customs that are ridiculed. So, here the communists because uh, this was approved by the communists uh, to, to shoot the movie and all that, and, and this was shot inside the Forbidden City, mm-hmm. which is, okay, this is like a sacred place. Ah, now you have a Starbucks inside the <laughs> Forbidden City yeah. today. When I went, like, uh, it was 20 years ago, and you had a Starbucks there. It was like, and, and it was like an $8 coffee. This is isn't that part of the century of humiliation having a Starbucks, not just like an American chain, any American chain, but just like uh, I'm sorry for people who like Starbucks, but this is like a low end uh, uh, American chain. It's not like you know boutique coffee, and have that inside where your emperors from where the emperors ruled the empire. This is like Hong Kong. This is like you let the Americans plant a flag inside your forbidden city. What the fuck are you doing? I guess it means it's a mission accomplished for the free trade argument. (laughs) Ah, Okay. Uh, But yeah, what you said about, um, like you mentioned how the uh, communists try to make the imperial order seem a little bit ridiculous. And in The Last Emperor, there are some scenes with that, right? Like where they're smelling the poop of the little emperor and they're doing like the, the bathing dance and that kind of feudal silliness. Yes. Uh, yeah. It looks really silly uh, and it's contrasted with the seriousness of the communists. They're very serious. But in both cases, like there's uniforms and visual styles to it, right? Like the Qing emperors, they had this whole fashion with every Chinese man needed to have the queue, so the, the long the long braid and the forehead or the hair of front side of this head needs to be shaved Lee, or else yeah. chop chop right and this is like a weird haircut this is like really esoteric shave the front of the head and leave just a braid this is like uh, going all in like a mainstream <laughs> a, a mainstream that promotes that that's very interesting it's very yeah. interesting yeah and it was it was so regimented also under the the empire with and this is kind of, I guess, how these different uh, dynasties are also color-coded. Like the, mm. the Qing were a Manchu uh, dynasty, and they were also called like the red-tasseled Manchus because, okay, they had the specific heads, uh, hats with the red uh, tassels on top, okay. uh, which was like the, the uniform as, as part of that dynasty. And then when that ends... There's this this moment of modernization where uh, Western haircuts are allowed and so on, and then the Mao suits come in. So <laughs> right. different uniforms, right. right? And no more colors, no more colors. Yeah, it's all grayish, all greenish. Grayish. Yeah, yeah. Yes, but basically, what we want to focus on for the narrative is the fall of the last Chinese emperor. We're talking about two thousand years. 
that have just end with like a sputter like whatever it was dying and decaying for so long and you and when the queen empress died you just have like a three-year-old boy who's the emperor of a emperor that is no more just in name only so you know ambitious people who weren't part of the manchu line they were like okay this is an opportunity for me to get mine uh, i have all this power here let me yeah. take a bite but uh, I bet in a thousand years, Chinese historians will look at uh, Mao simply as the peasant emperor. Maybe. It's, it's basically the same system, but a new dynasty has come in. And now this whole same hierarchy has been built up again, including even a kind of nobility almost. Like uh, you're a bit more advantaged in your, in your social credit, credit score if, for example, your your grandpa was already in the Communist Party mm. and things like ah, that. Ah, so I see what you mean. So it's basically feudal, but then Maoist. Yes, and now also you have a lot of social tensions between like the new middle class-ish gazillions of people who are not living up to the standards that they were promised that they will with this uh, open door policy and uh, stuff. And I, I guess instead of looking up at the powers that be and blaming them, they're looking down and blaming the people under them. This is a recurring something I've never heard uh, instrumentalized anywhere else. How yes. did Chinese come up with that? Who does such a thing? But uh, the last emperor is also um, uh, relevant for the century of humiliation in a different way, namely the Japanese influence. Right, 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 right. Go for it. Like, apart from Westerners humiliating China, a really, really, really large chunk of this is just the Japanese role in in different ways in uh, insinuating themselves first in uh, Manchuria and then turning that into a kind of fake uh, vassal state, Manchukuo, uh, also invading further into uh, China, doing horrific uh, crimes against humanity in Nanjing and other places, yes. biological warfare against oh. Chinese, uh, just Nazi-like Nazi, Nazi -like, uh, methods. Yeah, Nazi -like. And this hurts more because it was yes. done by the Japanese. They were coming in as sort of like, we're going to expel the European, the foreign powers, we're going to be whatever. We are all Asians, right? No, and we're yep. just going to do the same to you. Yeah. But now we look more like you. And this is still relevant in Chinese-Japanese relations today, almost 100 totally. years later. Totally, yeah. Uh, and it's, it's such a, a problem also. Uh, well, first of all... Chinese are very angry about it and now feeling stronger. And Japan has dealt with the, dealt with this in a way that's totally different from Germany. Yeah, they're like uh, bygones. Like in Tokyo, you can still just go to that uh, uh, what's it called, the Yasukuni Shrine, where mm. uh, just uh, imperial uh, Japanese uh, warriors are being honored in a way that would be unthinkable yes. in Germany. Yes. Right? And so this is a constant insult, yes. never resolved insult, that the Chinese don't take lightly, and understandably so. Yeah, when you say that they dealt with it uh, differently, uh, basically you meant to say they went, they w went about it the wrong way. They're like unwilling to assume uh, responsibility in a way that satisfies any of the peoples uh, living next to them that are, you know, that, that got hurt. 
there, like if a politician now uh, in Japan would say we need to apologize and would just be forceful about it, uh, his or her chances to do anything would be very, very, very slim. It's political suicide. Political suicide. Because also Japanese education doesn't really recognize the, like the, the population is just not socialized into the fact that massive crimes have taken place. Yes. Yeah, it's basically like the Turks have handled uh, the Armenian genocide. Right. We can't uh, take responsibility because if we take responsibility, then uh, then what? It it never happens, but we'll do it again. <laughs> <laughs> it never happened, but if it happened, we were right to do it. Also. It was a good thing. It, it, you made us do it. Yes. Basically. So yeah. this makes like uh, this is a, a a real obstacle in Chinese Japanese uh, relations uh, today. Yeah. Yeah, and, and Japanese Korean and Japanese yeah. Taiwanese and so on. Yeah. If the Japanese would look at this whole thing differently, this would change the Asian geopolitics. Totally. Yeah. Because they would be able to position themselves uh, against China in a more effective way. Basically, they're shooting themselves in the, in the knee, handicapping themselves uh, in the way, in the relations that they can have with the, the countries around China that are looking over and are scared of a growing Chinese influence uh, in the region. The Milk Tea Alliance. Yes, that doesn't include the, the Japanese. They're not in that uh, alliance. They're not allowed. But they don't drink milk tea. No, they do drink milk tea also, right? I, I've never been to Japan. Have you been to Japan? Yeah, many times. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about the Red Lantern. You <laughs> Race Red Lantern, I think, is a film that uh, just just not really about the story itself, but it's um, uh, it's a beautiful film that you need to take the time for because it's very slow moving. Very slow, but it's worth it. It's one of those films that like some people might even like, watch uh, taking hallucinogenics or something like that just because uh, of what it looks like like the play with color okay. and some of the shots are really symmetrical yeah. and or maybe sometimes monochrome and like it's it's very aesthetic we're talking about the 1920s so it's like set in one place it's like the the warlords era but the entire movie is set in a compound mm-hmm. that looks kind of like uh, an imperial uh, palace but just the it's gray and uh, you know, not very, not you don't see all the you know, it's not vast. You don't have a lot of decorations, but you, you have that feel. And in contrast to all that grayness, you have the red lanterns. Mm-hmm. They keep the traditions of their fathers and the forefathers, and it's like a new dynasty. Like they fancy themselves. This is uh, this has been running in the family these traditions for so many years. So we must uh, act according to them, because this yeah. is in the family. And the compound then is a compound of um, basically the four wives or four mistresses of the, the men, the men about the house. And they are in just a constant sort of Machiavellian yes. conflict with one another that's fueled by who gets the favors of the man tonight. What do you and think then, about the man? You don't see much of him. You don't see the man. This is yeah. really an interesting uh, take uh, by it's Jean just, It's the patriarchy, just in general. Yes. He's always from behind, from the side, from afar. I'm like, you don't know how he looks like. 
And if you are favored as one of the four mistresses, then you get a very, very noisy foot massage (laughs) (laughs) with little hammers. By the way, I must say, these films, they're also a sonic adventure. Okay, well, but let's, let's, let's keep that for the final movie. Uh, but okay. yeah, you get the foot massage and you get to choose what food, you, food you're going to eat. And, and everybody's going to eat the same food. So it's like a power play. Yeah. Yes. Because they have to dine together all the concubines. And you get, you get the red lanterns. Basically, they're trying to recreate their known symbols of power. And basically, it's like a court. Mm-hmm. All the concubines yeah. are vying yeah, for, right. for yeah, part. It's a court. It's yeah. Basically like a court. And you have like the distant ruler, you know, pr- like uh, whatever, uh, hovering over everything. is not even part of your life. And you are all just like hapless and powerless. And uh, you have to fight over, uh, fight one against each other. It's like divide and conquer in order to, you know, get a few crumbs off the tables of the emperor. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's uh, like you don't see anything of the outside world except anything, yeah. this the, this power. And I guess, you know, like it's a sheltered uh, inside that probably needs to be extra sheltered because of the mayhem on the outside. Because the warlord era during that time, China is totally fragmented into little fiefdoms of generals or criminals or whatever else they are. Uh, dudes in charge locally. Yeah, dudes. You, uh, I guess it's not a lot of women who are warlords usually no. in history. No, no. But here the concubines, so they are also privileged. It's like upstairs, downstairs, whatever. They're privileged uh, versus compared to the servants, and mm. they immediately. So the 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 lead character, we meet her as she's becoming a concubine, and she immediately comfortably steps into uh, her power and starts to abuse uh, one of her servants. So just like everybody, and she spits in her food, whatever. So this is like uh, basically recreating, you know, the the food chain in this little fiefdom that is like you know a few buildings. As a subtle communist propaganda, it works. These kind of old-fashioned power structures are very oppressive and they play people against each other. Mm. And, of course, yeah, and, of course, doing away with this old stuff and instead building a new communist utopia, everybody's going to be more equal and then, of course, that might also resolve some of this infighting um, and it's just better for everybody. So you're talking about the food massage. This is like part of the centuries-long uh, Chinese food fetish, female food fetish. Like they've, they've been <laughs> tying women's feet. Well, so that's for what ages. I thought in the first the first time when they show up with the little hammers. <laughs> I did it real. I thought they destroy were going to break break her feet and and tie them up, but it, it was just a massage. Wow! Because this was okay. This was horrible. Like this custom of tying uh, a girls' feet before they grow and just like make it totally mangled up and, oh, and yeah. the Chinese patriarchy loved it. They were like, they wrote poems about it, about how beautiful these mangled women feet. And then the, and then you wonder why, you know, Chinese women didn't uh, participate <laughs> in, you know, society outside uh, their own house because it fucking hurts to walk. 
So the, this was like considered like uh, you know uh, the delicacy, whatever of whatever the female delicacy, like her feet, and I'm and I'm and I'm talking about you could Google it. You have all kinds yeah. of uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's horrible, horrible. horrible. Yeah. Uh, you wanna <clears throat> get to the very artistically and audio pleasing uh, experience of watching uh, Farewell My Concubine? Sure. Tell the people the kind of uh, pleasing uh, music in this movie. Farewell My Concubine uh, features Chinese opera, which, by the way, Raised the Red Lantern also kind of does yeah. because the third mistress is an opera singer. And in both cases, it is just hard for us as Westerners to really appreciate the <laughs> artistry no, but I, I mean, uh, I'm not even right. kidding. Like, no, it's not hard to appreciate. It's really easy to suffer from. Right. Like the uh, the scales are different, just the, the just the musical scales, and it's interesting to realize that what we or what what maybe I have been socialized into thinking, well, this is objectively beautiful, mm-hmm. is is just uh, also part of training. In Chinese culture, different things are appreciated. Maybe also, for example, making a lot of noise to mark some occasion, Chinese New Year with the fireworks, mm. or here, like in a lot of these films, something auspicious happens and there needs to be a record. <laughs> And that's when something important happens. And that's just, we're not trained to, okay. to okay. cope with that. Okay. That's but a, anyway, so, so that's, that's the, the... No, 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 no. I think what I meant, like, like, like you're being very, uh, you know, uh, polite and objective about it. But now let's talk about the subjective experience. Our subjective experience, you know, people can dislike whatever, heavy metal, I don't mind. It's grating. It's, it's, Isn't it like scientifically, like uh, the notes are... Like, do you really need training for to to enjoy like at the first listen uh, European classical music? Like, it's melodic, isn't it? Like, uh, I th- I think so. No, I think so because uh, also like I quite like Western opera, but I know that many many people who are you know less cultured than I am cannot really appreciate those arias yes. like yes. the Queen of the Night uh, stuff like that, and they also think that that is screeching. And um, yeah, yeah. Over music seems to be like non-melodic. In the, and that's just like hurt the the eardrum. So I like non-melodic music. Just like I guess here it seems like everything non-melodic and and contemporary and and, and current uh, Chinese music is like pop, cheesy. Music like the worst no. music ever. Like in trains in in uh, in China, they play the pop Chinese music, and this is like like very like sacred. It's like a nineties something auto tune sound. This is like 
uh, you know, they, their, their culture is amazing, you know, far be it for me to, you know, grade their culture. I'll give it an A <laughs> in terms of history, like <laughs> the things a that plus they... good effort. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in terms of that, no, in, ter- in terms of, you know, culture created, you know, incredible art and architecture, and, you know, and thinking and uh, political thought and philosophical thought, obviously. Yeah. In the music department. <laughs> <laughs> No, I can say, someone can say they don't like Israeli music. That's fine. It doesn't make them anti-Semitic if they don't like Israeli music. Well, maybe a little. A little. <laughs> <laughs> it's really acculturation, if, but that's also with the color coding, for example, because for us, we think, well, red is obviously the, the color of alarm, bad news, yeah. danger, danger. Yeah. And there, also in Race to Red Lantern, Red is the color of prosperity, prosperity happy marriage, yeah. uh, just wholesome things. And that's just, it's, base, it's apparently just arbitrary. Oh, but the color red, when, um, as far as we know, when you look at the color red and a Chinese person who looks at the color red, you see the same thing, just interpreted differently. But here, the noises that they make in the world are <laughs> not... <laughs> good to listen to not fun to listen to i guess i'm sure if i'm cultured maybe it could be you know like uh, like wine or like coffee you have to you know go through something in order to appreciate it fine but actually what you're saying so the 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 color thing in the last emperor does this shot during the cultural revolution where they are waiting for the traffic light to change and it changes to red and red is the color of progress so everybody go 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 right it's it's flipped upside down but actually what you're saying about the perception of color, it's not entirely true. This is actually also uh, shaped shaped by culture and social right, constructs, right. even like how people split the color spectrum in different tints yes. that is partly determined by culture. Yes, but red is red. Like, like, and, and people like yeah. red. If you're Chinese, basically red is a very prominent color that is pleasing to the eye and we notice it it's not like it's a color that you look and you're like oh my goodness what the fuck is that and another culture oh. likes that color as like the best color ever so just like but, this- but there is some similarity <laughs> with uh, like how different cultures chop up the um, the color spectrum yeah. and how different colors chop up uh, sound frequencies because the, the reason why the Chinese music sounds so weird to us is that the uh, the intervals are different between notes like we chop up an octave in 12 chunks and for example also in in arab music and also in chinese music the scales are just different and so the intervals between the frequencies are just different and people are acculturated to to that so for us it sounds atonal and just like out of tune if you listen to arabic music it doesn't hurt your ears I'm just talking about my own taste. I'm not saying anything racist about uh, the Chinese. I just like I like oh, I, I find their music really, really unenjoyable. <laughs> this is what I'm saying. Arabic music and Indian music. They also, uh, you know, it's a little bit atonal, but it's it's very pleasing. I like if you listen to Indian classical music. It's, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna listen to it every day, but you listen to it like, huh? This is great. Yeah. It's like tuck, 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 
Want to talk about the Chinese education uh, system <laughs> in the movie? Ooh, very harsh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think we need to set it up a little okay, bit because the, there is a, there is some there is something important that we might want to touch on with okay. this film, um, which is uh, how um, life follows art and then life follows art again uh, mm-hmm. in the following way. Uh, the name uh, "Farewell, My Concubine." Is the name of the film. It's also the name of one of the Beijing operas. Okay. Right? And then very briefly, the plot line of that opera is that there's a king who has a concubine. The concubine follows him everywhere. And then at fun, one of the final battles, when the Han Dynasty comes in, so that's like 2,000 years ago, uh, the king is defeated and he uh, stands at the losing side and uh, he sends his horse away to save himself, the opposite of my kingdom for a horse. Um, and then the concubine is still there, and he basically wants, wants her to go away, but then she commits suicide. She cuts oh. her neck okay. uh, with a sword. Okay. In the film, the two main characters keep on playing that opera. And like they become famous for it. One of them is kind of uh, effeminate, so he plays yeah. the role of the concubine. And there's a bit of a, a play on words also where in this education system, he misspeaks early on, the uh, kind of uh, effeminate uh, androgynous character. He is supposed to say, uh, I am by nature a girl, not a boy. Um, and because that fits in the role where he plays the female. But... Um, he then says, I am by nature a boy, not a girl, uh, because he's, although he's effeminate, he's, he's a boy, he's a man, and he's gay. And, of course, he's not allowed to say that, so they beat it out of him. Um, and, but, and then later, when the film almost comes full circle, they rehash that line again. Um, but throughout this film, that character is in love with the other character. It's unrequited gay love. Yeah. Um, he's straight yeah the other character is straight Um, and then in the film the gay character in the end also commits suicide in kind of the same way and the actor who does that is um, a very famous uh, actor uh, canto pop singer so it's also the pop music which you just (laughs) slagged off very racistly as well (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um, we don't have a actor, lot of Chinese listeners. <laughs> uh, Leslie Chung was okay. um, a very, very popular oh. sort of Hong Kong or uh, Pacific Rim mm. scene actor, mm. and he killed himself. Oh no! Because he was actually he was actually bi, not not gay, uh, and he was constantly being hounded for that on social media and by the press, and so he killed himself by. Uh, jumping from the top of the Mandarin Oriental Hotel in Hong Kong uh, on uh, the island side mm. near that tower that has all the triangles, like famous tower from the... Uh, I've been to Hong Kong. I don't remember the tower, though. I remember the view when you go to the top of the mountain and you see oh. uh, this incredible Well, so harbor. this is like the when, you, when you're on the Kowloon side and you look towards the uh, the island side, oh. there's a bunch of those towers with that oh. are just famous for the skyline. And anyway, he so he jumped from a hotel near there. Um, 
because uh, there was very little acceptance of uh, of his orientation uh, even yeah. though he was super popular he was voted like the main uh, pacific rim asia superstar he also lived in vancouver for a bit where i lived as well mm. um so this is how we uh, mark uh, pride month on the podcast oh yeah that's sad yeah leslie chung rest in peace Rest in peace. I, I guess like my main takeaway from the movie uh, Fear of My Concubine is that uh, there's this phrase when the cannons uh, roar, the muses stay silent. It's, you know, it can, it can be said in several ways. Like uh, as the war is raging, they're basically artists and that no. is uh, not something that is required in times of war. No. And and just in general also because the the opera is of course very uh, decadent and uh, not really interesting for for work, working people and therefore they also have to go to the the struggle sessions and uh, yeah, all that stuff which comes back a couple of times that's also I find that really interesting that it is now like the way China deals with the more recent past is basically to say. Well, there were a couple of oopsies under Mao, and it's okay to criticize that, but we're staying, the the regime stays. Yes. (laughs) Okay. So the Cultural Revolution, it's okay to kind of show that it wasn't awesome, um, but there's no, like, conclusions to be drawn from that. It's just like, this is something that happened, and we went a bit overboard, and... uh, Sorry. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if the Channel Man Square in a couple of decades will just be processed in the same way like oh oopsies we we drove our tanks over the students yeah i (laughs) guess maybe you just need all of the people that were in that time to just die off yeah yeah Yeah. i've been to the the tiananmen square it's basically if you don't know the story it's opposite of uh, the of the forbidden city if you don't know the story Mm -hmm. it's just a big square yeah huge square huge square yeah. Huge I, square with, with people that kind of like you cannot really coalesce with more than five people or somebody comes over and asks you to just move. <laughs> yeah, I've been to the to the Tibetan plateau from the not on the, the Indian side, huh? Also on the Indian side, but also on the Chinese side, but not in the district called uh, Tibet, in the district of uh, Sichuan. Right. Where yeah. Chengdu is, yeah, you from Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, best uh, best Chinese food. <laughs> Chinese food was awesome, uh, but especially Sichuan food. Mm, yeah, so the hot good. pot. Did you try the hot pot? Oh, oh <laughs> many times. Yeah. My my most memorable uh, story from uh, my Chinese travels. Maybe we'll cut it out. I don't know. <clears throat> so we're going up the mountains. We were on horses mm-hmm. with loads of all of our stuff, and we had like three uh, Tibetan uh, riders and uh, what you call it. Two tour operators. Yeah, tour operators, whatever. So we're going up the mountain, and uh, and and just like to the right of me, there's like just like nothing. Mm. You just like you fall for an endless, and and you're on a horse who's carrying like so much weight, and it's like you have ba- barely like a meter or two meters between you and the fall. And even though it's so narrow, they can ride on the the gap between you and the edge of the mountain. And they're like galloping across just to see that everything is fine. But then something went wrong. My horse stumbled forward 
and it got so low i'm sitting on top of the horse it got so low that i had to stop me from falling by putting my hand on the ground yep. so it's like almost and, and like to the right of me there's there's nothing mm-hmm. and then he just like regrouped the the horse went back up kept on walking mm-hmm. and i'm like what the fuck just happened now and then the the one of the guides coming in between me and the gap he said don't worry don't worry horse only has one eye <laughs> like what which eye can 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 the horse see the the, the is fall? It facing the, 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 the valley or the mountain yes. <laughs> oh, this is not okay oh shit ah, i survived oh. uh, okay so what you want to sum up uh, our uh, us humiliating the chinese by reminding them of uh, the most painful moments yeah, we uh, watched a bunch of films that uh, depicts a uh, time period starting in the first half of the 19th century. And we don't quite know when it's over, but probably once we surrender. <laughs> yes. yes, and the movies are very different than the movies that we are used to doing. And it's uh, recommended to you know change things up. It's not good yep. to watch just American movies all the time or just like... You have, in order to get an outside perspective and to freshen your thinking, uh, this is one of my favorite things in doing this podcast that you have to watch movies from all over the world, about all over the world. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so thank you, Wutcher. Yeah. And if people like this episode, maybe they should uh, follow us uh, so they don't miss uh, any of our episodes. And uh, we have coming up uh, climate change in movies. Oh, that's going to be fun. Oh, that's going to be fun. So we just the, the two main uh, uh, threats arising in the 21st century, <laughs> chi- China and climate. <laughs> okay, this has run a very long, so let's uh, just uh, end it here and let people uh, go about their day. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll see you all next time. Bye. Thank you. Bye.